Here at Generations, our goal and belief and vision is that every member is a minister. We all are called by God into ministry, and he calls people to equip us for ministry, and the ministry here goes beyond these walls, and yet it happens in these walls. A light that shines the farthest, shines the brightest nearest home. So because of that, we're a house full of preachers. We really are, and one of those preachers is coming to bring the word today, Joe Duncan founding member of this church, one of the pillars in this house. He was the first man we ever ordained an elder. He's the father of three wonderful children and three great, well, they're not great, they're incredible, grandchildren. He's a husband to our children's pastor, Laura Duncan. Joe, come right on and bring us a word. Joe Duncan. Thank you, Pastor. Over the course of our lives, we will make thousands, if not ten thousands, of decisions. Some very simple. In fact, most are very simple. Should I have another piece of pizza? Should, you know, anything like that. But a lot of them are critical to who we are and and what we become. In fact, this message today has to do with decision-making, logic, and reasoning, but it has to do with it as I trust that God wants it to be. On April the 14th, 1865, John Wilkes Booth shot Abraham Lincoln in Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C. And, of course, we know that the next morning the president died. And what we found out later was one of the reasons that Booth shot the president is he thought in his heart, he was certain and confident that the South would hail him as a hero. And in the few remaining days he had left, as the police and the military tried to to catch him, he found out to his horror that he was universally condemned, even by the South. Two biblical characters, within really a matter of hours, made terrible decisions. Judas Iscariot, Simon Peter. Judas, as we know, made the terrible decision to to plan and plot to turn Jesus over to the authorities for a lousy 30 pieces of silver. Peter, despite the fact that Jesus had already warned him that that Peter was going to deny Jesus, he still went out and denied Jesus three times. Both men were certainly despondent following those terrible mistakes, But their response is what's really important to us. The one, Judas, would go out and commit suicide. The other, Simon Peter, would repent, follow Jesus, and become absolutely one of the pillars of the church and an author of part of the New Testament. Talk about different reasoning and different logic. It isn't a matter if humans are going to make mistakes. 
It's what are we going to do with the mistakes we made? How are we going to respond? The gospel message is grace. Peter understood that, and somehow Judas did not. Most of us will never have the dramatic effect on history that those three people did. But we'll have an effect on those closest to us. When uh, I was born on the East Coast, really grew up in northern Indiana. That's where I call home. I went to college in, in Illinois and in Arizona. And in all of that time, never once thought about Texas. Had absolutely no plan to make Texas home. And yet God opened the door that Laura and I, as once we were married, we, we realized God was opening a door to move to Texas, and we've been here ever since. And while it, it doesn't affect a lot of people, it certainly affected my children. They really know no other place that they would call home but Texas. As Christians, God wants us to make choices consistent with his word and his will. To seek him for what we are and what we will become. Our text is taken from Acts, the 15th chapter, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn there. Acts 16, whatever I said, it's Acts 16. Um, and this is known as the second, this is really the beginning of the second missionary journey of Paul. And most of, most of your Bibles will probably have the journeys of Paul in the map section. This area that you're looking at in the center that, that uh, is referred to in the scripture of, as Asia Minor is current-day Turkey. And we know from the previous chapter that, that Paul told his companions, he said, uh, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns, and he's talking about his first journey. Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the town where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. That's their goal. That's their plan. And it's a good one. If we go over to chapter 16, we notice in, in, in verse 5 that it says, So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in number. And he's traveling with Silas and a young man named Timothy and maybe others, but we know those two. Now, like all the great plans that we make in life, it does not necessarily follow that that plan is what God has for you. And let's, let's begin to understand that in verse, verse 6. And I'm reading out of the NIV. And you, before I say that, you can see in the map that, that you're looking at, they started out at Antioch, which is basically in Syria today, and they're moving over into the areas of, uh, that are now Turkey. 
And they've, by the point in verse 6 that we were talking about, they've already visited several of the churches that they plan to. So, so far, the plan is working. In verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the regions, throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Uh oh. Having been having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching. So they wanted to go into now this isn't Asia as we think of China or Japan, but this the center section, the lower part of that section is Asia Minor. And that's one of the intended targets. But verse six says they were kept. They were not allowed to go in there. Look at verse 7. When they came to the border of Mysia, now that's further to the north, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. All right. Serious, serious problems with the plan. And the Scriptures don't tell us, but we can suggest we can maybe think, as normal human beings would, they'd be saying, what is God doing? What's happening? We don't know how they were prevented. We just know they were. And in really common terms, that as Christians over the years we learn, God opens doors and closes them. We may not like it. We Generally, we like the open doors a whole lot more than we like the closed doors. But that's that's... We understand that, and Paul and his companions probably did as well. Verse 8, so they passed by Mysia, because they couldn't go, and went down to Troas. And you can see on the map up there, Troas is a seacoast city. Now, in verse 9, the fun begins. During the night, verse 9, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Pretty strong. Verse 10. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding, and this is key, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And isn't that the purpose in the first place? Now, we could make a case to try and understand what the heck is God doing. We look at the map. There's a lot of territory there that Paul and his friends could have preached the gospel. And don't they deserve the gospel? Don't they deserve to hear Jesus? Well, they do. But not in God, this wasn't in God's timing at this point. God had them skip over a lot of territory to get to Macedonia. And it was probably hundreds of miles extra that they didn't plan for, they didn't have provisions for. But it says they concluded that that was God's will for them. For them, our lives are a series of choices 
sometimes hard choices, sometimes difficult. But hopefully we're always seeking the will and direction of God. For those of you that are news junkies, you probably know who Ann Coulter is. Ann Coulter is, uh, has been on many television shows, especially cable news. She's an author, an attorney, and a vocal conservative, and she is vocal. When she disagrees, those who disagree know clearly where she stands. And I have found myself agreeing with most of the things she has written. And one of the things I really like about at least some of her writings is she actually views current events as a Christian and speaks about that. And that's not common on, on the national news, and yet she does. Now, having said all of that and all those good things that I think are about her, what we're really going to focus on is something I disagree with her on. About a year ago, she wrote an article about the Ebola crisis. Now, as we know, the news cycle is, is, can change fast, can, can change rapidly. Uh, news outlets tend to be fickle. They, as you know, they'll all report on the same story for days, and then they drop that, and then they all go run over here and report on another story. Well, and, and they have their reasons, I, I'm sure. But a year ago at this time, the hot story was about Ebola in Africa and about the, the large number of people dying of Ebola in Africa. And she writes this article in August 6th of 2014. And she writes about Dr. Kent Brantley. And maybe you recognize him from this picture. He was in the news a lot. He and his nurse, while being in the medical missions, contracted Ebola from some of their patients. And obviously, without intervention, they were going to die. And so that's the, the framework that we're going to want to look at Ann Coulter's article. And I want to just quote from her article a brief passage. I wonder how the Ebola doctor feels now that his humanitarian trip has cost a Christian charity much more than any services he rendered. What was the point? Whatever good Dr. Brantley did in Liberia has now been overwhelmed by the more than two million already paid by the Christian charities Samaritan's Purse and Sim USA. Both of those missions group Generations Church has supported. They paid more than two million dollars just to fly him and his nurse in separate Gulfstream jets, specially equipped with medical tents, and to care for them at one of America's premier hospitals. Now, the good part of the story that, she, that I'm sure she mentions is they lived. They're both alive today. But she goes on and she said, Why did Dr. Brantley have to go to Africa? 
the very first risk factor listed by the, the Mayo Clinic for Ebola, an incurable disease with a 90% fatality rate. And the last statement she makes is, can't anyone serve Christ in America anymore? Now, I bring her article up because there are, I have met Christians that would agree with what she says. And there are some logical issues. She says, what's the point? And, and there are some valid issues to bring up. It's very expensive to send missionaries from the United States around the world. And it's probably, well, I want to say doubly so, but probably far more than that, to send medical missionaries from the United States around the world. The aren't, aren't the spiritual and social and political problems bad enough here? Can't we, can't Christians stay, American Christians stay in America? In using her logic, in using her reasoning, there's a missing piece to the puzzle that I think is absolutely critical when we think of a guy like this and we think of the Apostle Paul and his friends. The missing piece that she doesn't include is the call of God. Sometimes it's illogical, and I'm sure some people in Paul's along the way say, why are you doing it this way? In fact, most most Christians will at some time or another have differences of agreement, and that's healthy, over what ministry should be supported and where and when, and that goes on all the time. That's not wrong. That's good. But let me, let me go ahead and read a little more about this Dr. Brantley. From an early age, Brantley was driven, and this is another article, not Ann Coulter's, from an early age, Brantley was driven by his faith in God to make a difference. He took mission trips to Uganda, Honduras, Nicaragua, Tanzania, and Haiti. He intended to be a missionary before he became a doctor. Eventually, he decided medical missions is what he wanted to do. And he did his resi residency in John Peter Smith in Fort Worth. He's not a stranger to this area. Along with how we, log we logically reason through any issue when God's calling, there's also the possibility of risk. Paul undoubtedly, and in his missionary journeys, found some difficult times. There were risks, and he knew it. In fact, one of his own brothers one time took his belt and wrapped it around Paul's arms and said, this is what's going to happen to you if you go to Jerusalem. And it did. Risk is part of it. The Bible story of the Good Samaritan is, a, is really appropriate here. We, we focus in that, in, in that story that's found out of Luke, the 10th chapter, and we focus on the Good Samaritan, because of a stranger that had compassion 
on another stranger and was willing to spend his his time and his money to help the stranger. And that's a good lesson that's been taught many times. Uh, The Good Samaritan is the headline of many news stories over the years. Somebody going out of their way to help. But there's also a part of that story that we got to remember. There was risk in what he did. The robbers who beat up and left for dead, the one guy, were probably still on that road. As he stayed there to help somebody he didn't know and use his own money, he took a risk. Let me tell you about two people that I met in the last few months. They're in this, this picture, and I'll explain it. But there's a husband and wife that are currently serving as missionaries in Sarajevo, Bosnia. Now, on the left, from left to right, that's Robert and his wife, Sandrina Jurovic. And Jerry Lowe is on the right. Jerry, the reason we, one of the reasons uh, uh, that Laura and I were in, in this part of the country was part of the ministry of European Initiative. And Jerry and Susanna, especially Susanna, was the organizer of, of everything we did. She's a driver. This church blessed us, Laura and I, and, and supported us by sending us to this area. We went to, to four countries, Croatia, Serbia, Bosnia, and Montenegro. Those four countries and several others in that area make up the former Yugoslavia. And, and uh, while we may remember Sarajevo in the positive sense from the 1984 Olympics, it's a beautiful area. And if you want to go to the next slide, this is another picture of that area. And, and uh, there, there's really two things that stand out to me about this after being there. One, the city of Sarajevo is nestled in a valley. And so, and, and mountains all around, mountains much higher than what you're seeing here. But, uh, and so it, it was a perfect place for a Winter Olympics. But also what happened in that area after the former Soviet Union broke up and all these nations began to demand their, their independence is civil war broke out. The first time I ever heard the phrase ethnic cleansing had to do with this city and many others. People were slaughtered by the thousands. In fact, this area with all the crosses that you see there, this used to be a playground. And one of the people that that we met there said as a child that he used to play in that playground. Well, it's obviously a very large cemetery now. And there are several places that you can spot from the valley that looks just like this. Now, the question is, why would Robert and Sandrina, and maybe go back to that slide if you could. Thanks, Josh. Why would Robert and Sandrina go here? Let me add to the confusion. Not only is there a lot of, a lot of 
hostility and bitterness here. This is 95% Muslim. Within the past couple weeks, Robert forwarded an article about ISIS trying to build a stronghold within 60 miles of this. It is not the most comfortable place to be. And yet they faithfully serve there. Now let me explain to you the kind of churches that they pastor. These aren't, the, the, forget the concept of churches in the United States. They have a, a church of about 14. And the largest evangelical Christian Bible-based church that I saw or heard about in our time there that they were telling us about is a church of about 25. They have a storefront church. And they've heard the call of God, and they want to make a difference. What are we listening to? And I'm not saying suddenly now generations has to go to Africa and fight Ebola or go to Bosnia. But what call does God have on you? That's the critical question. You've made lots of decisions in your life. How is God speaking to you? Now, let me, let me throw in a, just a brief word of caution. In my life, uh, I've heard a lot of people say that God had called them. And I think in the majority of cases, I think that's true. But there's a word of warning. And let me, read, let me introduce that thought with 1 John, the fourth chapter in verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit... But test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. There are legitimate biblical tests for a call of God. Has it been covered in prayer, not just by the person wanting to go or wanting, saying they have the call, but is it covered by prayer by others? Have they consulted wise and knowledgeable Christian people? Is it consistent with Scripture? I mean, that's a whole subject of its own. But there's, there's a caution. But God is, having said that, I believe God is calling everybody. It is not necessarily to... Ann Coulter is, is partially right. Most Americans are going to be called to America. to teach and preach and share the gospel in whatever way that God gives you. You're not all going to be Alan. You're not going to all be in some kind of mold. You're the kind of person God created to do what you can do. Realize in life that there are many voices trying to get a hold of your ears and your mind. There are many competing voices after you every day. Whether, uh, whether if you have a computer, an iPhone, or an equivalent, an iPad or an equivalent, 
if you watch network news, if you watch cable news, they all want to get, they want your attention and your ears and your mind. Now, the vast majority of them want to sell you something. And we know that. That's part of our our free enterprise system. That's all right. I get a little sick of the pop-ups sometimes. Uh, but realize, when you when you look at YouTube and you scan through YouTube, you want to look at some things, and the next time you get on, they are going to present you with some articles based on what you've already looked at. Be careful what you look at, I guess. Uh, the word logic is defined in a couple of ways that I really like. As a particular method of reasoning, another another definition, and I like this one too, is that logic is a tool for distinguishing between the true and the false. We begin to develop logic, logic patterns and reasoning, the reasoning processes that we use every day and we start very young in life. The infant that has to touch that hot stove... If that individual lives to 120, they're probably going to never touch a hot stove again. And that's how we begin to learn. Now, there's several ways we can learn. And we can learn from our own experiences, and that can be extremely painful. Or we can learn through the experience and wisdom of others. This entire book is given to you and is worth daily reading because in it teaches God's method of reasoning, God's logic. One of the most popular characters in science fiction, and I guess I need to back up, there are two kinds of people in the world. Uh, one, one kind likes science fiction and the other kind hates it. And uh, my house represents both groups. And, uh, and, but uh, one of the characters that I've liked in, since, it, since it began was Mr. Spock from the original Star Trek series. And one of the things you could count on in that make-believe science fiction world of Star Trek that somewhere in the episode with Spock in it, he was going to use the word logic. It's logical. Or referring to somebody else, it's illogical. Now, that works in a neat package one-hour story. His logic was always good for that story. But you know, in the Real life, people are not always in agreement with what's logical or what makes sense. We simply have to look at what happens in Washington all the time, what happens in the news, the current, uh, the latest judicial findings and court cases. What's not, lo- what's 
logical is just not common. Part, part of that, I believe, that uh, we don't all share a common foundation. And so it's very tough to determine logic in terms of what we agree on. But many believe that we are, in fact, in a post-Christian era, seemingly dominated by those who would build a secular society. And part of their secular society is to make sure that religion in general, and Jesus specifically, is pushed out of the public marketplace. In fact, what is often suggested is that we we frame the discussion in terms of my logic versus your logic. But in that, we both fail. Both sides fail when it's just your logic against mine. In the scriptures, one prophetic scripture that that, uh, is powerful, it says in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. In the end, what we're talking about is what are you listening to and what are you doing about it? As believers, we have the tools We have the the scriptures, we have prayer, we have fellowship with other believers to establish the filters that we're going to let things in and prevent things from, from getting in. Right now we have, I don't know how many teenagers at camp. At that point in their lives, they're subject to all kinds of voices speaking to them. And it's harder and harder in an electronic age, in an electronic media, to to prevent them from hearing things. In fact, you can't. The real issue here is how are we going to, for ourselves and those that follow us, what are we going to listen to and how are we going to deal with it? As we close, I want to read four Four verses, four statements written by men and inspired by God. And I'll turn it over to the pastor. The first one, 1 Corinthians 2, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. John 3, beginning verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And finally, from 2 Corinthians, the first Chapter and beginning with verse 9. We had the sentence of death in ourselves 
that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead.